0: This is the Insurance Law Podcast, brought to you by Best Recommended Insurance Attorneys. Welcome to the Insurance Law Podcast, the broadcast about timely and important legal issues affecting the insurance industry. I'm John Zuba, Managing Editor of Best's Recommended Insurance Attorneys. We're pleased to have with us today Attorneys Jim Steele and Matthew Berkowitz from the law firm of Carr Maloney in Washington, D.C. Jim counsels insurers on complex coverage matter disputes, he litigates and arbitrates coverage cases for insurance companies, including construction mishaps, professional liability claims, uninsured, underinsured motorist policy provisions, subrogation claims, third-party additional insured disputes, lead pain exclusions, and other insurance provisions. He is a past president of the D.C. Defense Lawyers Association and also a member of DRI. Matthew Berkowitz has extensive class-action experience at the trial and appellate level, He defends insurance companies in complex coverage disputes involving toxic tort and environmental cases and represents construction companies, auto dealerships, and national restaurant and retail chains in complex tort actions. He is a member of the D.C. Bar's litigation section, and he recently co-authored an article on using Rule 68, officer judgment, to end class actions early and quickly in the legal process. We are very pleased to have you both with us today.
1: Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you.
0: Today's discussion will be on offers of judgment, and we're going to lead off today's questions with Jim Steele. And Jim, can you tell us this morning, what is an offer of judgment and how does it work?
2: Certainly. Rule 68 of the Federal Rules of Civil Procedure is an offer that allows a defendant or a, a party opposing a claim uh, to uh, at least 14 days before the trial date, uh, that party can offer to have the plaintiff or other claimant um, take judgment against them for uh, an amount on specified terms with costs then accrued. The uh, plaintiff then has 14 days to either accept the offer, reject the offer, or if they ignore it, after 14 days it's considered withdrawn. Uh, the import of that is that if the plaintiff rejects the offer, then the plaintiff must receive a judgment in excess of what the offer amount was, or they have to pay the offerer's costs from the date of the offer going forward. So it's kind of a, a fish or cut bait type of rule. Now, that's the federal rule, uh, state Some states have their own versions of it. Uh, in my area, the District of Columbia has that rule. Virginia does not. And Maryland only has it available in healthcare care malpractice claims. And then other states, such as Florida, allow plaintiffs to make a similar offer towards the, de, uh, towards the defendant.
0: And, Jim, what does a party have to consider when deciding whether to make an offer of judgment, and what are some common issues that arise when they are used?
2: Well, some of the considerations you have to go through, uh, you know, primarily uh, your client is then offering to uh, offering to allow a judgment to be taken against them. So you have to make sure your client is on board with that concept and they have, you have to have a well-informed client to know what the consequences of that are. Some other considerations uh, going into whether to make one or not is, is it, is it a case of disputed liability or is it a case where... There's really no dispute as to liability, but there's a big difference between the sides in terms of what the damages might be. Um, There's other situations. If you have, for example, a a professional liability client, uh, a judgment being taken against uh, a lawyer or a doctor or uh, some other professional, it it could affect their reputation in their professional community. Uh, and so these are all the kind of considerations you have to think about. Um, as far as the issues that arise, the primary one that comes up is you you have to draft the offer uh, very clearly to specify what it is you're actually offering, because there's a lot of case law out there where if there was a claim that involved a fee-shifting statute and the defendant makes the offer and thinks they've included the attorney's fees in the offer, and the plaintiff accepts the offer and then turns around and files a petition for attorney's fees. Um, There's a lot of case law out there over disputes on that. So uh, the the big thing is you have to draft it so that uh, it's clear that the offer is intended to include all elements of the plaintiff's claim for relief.
0: Okay, Jim, one final question for you this morning. Can you give some examples of offers of judgment in action?
2: Uh, sure. Um, I've had a case where uh, there were multiple defendants who made a joint offer of judgment that did not define the contributions of the respective parties, uh, but the plaintiff uh, rejected the offer and then ended up getting less than one-tenth of what the offer was. And as a, as a result... The defendant won the trial, but ended up owing the defendants about three thousand dollars. When all the costs were, uh, so, so the costs exceeded the judgment amount by three thousand dollars. The plaintiff ended up owing the defendants money. Um, I've had other cases where the plaintiff does not accept the offer of judgment, but it then sort of creates pressure through the rest of the case and and pressure on the plaintiff to settle. And in those situations, the plaintiffs have settled for a reasonable amount of money. So it really is an effective tool for resolving cases.
0: Okay, thank you, Jim. We'll turn it over to Matt now for some questions. Uh, Matt, how are offers of judgment used in class action cases?
1: Uh, Very similar to the manner in which Jim described. uh, Certainly the rules don't uh the rule itself doesn't change but you know most courts recognize that when an offer of judgment is accepted that offer is accepted by the lead plaintiff in a cla- of a class and it's the offer is made and accepted prior to class certification the offer of judgment once accepted would moot uh the lead plaintiff's c- claims and and ultimately the putative class. So essentially, uh, you can get rid of um, a class action by uh, making an offer of judgment that's accepted by uh, a lead plaintiff. As, you know, the courts have generally held at that point, once it's accepted, uh, the lead plaintiff no longer has a live case or controversy or stake in the outcome of the litigation.
0: And Matt, is it possible to potentially moot a putative case with an unaccepted offer of judgment?
1: It is possible. It's become much uh, more difficult. There is still some dispute in the law. Recently, uh, the Supreme Court, in a case called Gomez uh, versus Campbell Ewald, uh, held that an offer—basically, uh, the court uh, applied contract principles rather than, uh, perhaps, as I mentioned before, standing principles or whether there's a stake in the controversy. And and the court said an unaccepted offer. Is just that. It's an unaccepted offer. They're applying con- the court-applied contract principles. So the Supreme Court recently held that an unaccepted offer does not moot uh, the lead plaintiff for the class's claims. Uh, you know, the minority, uh, the Supreme Court, Justice Roberts, uh, Justice Alito, uh, they focused on the constitutional uh, standing instead of the contract principles and, and uh, essentially argued that... Look, at this point, the plaintiff has been uh, given, if they're given everything that they could be entitled to on their best day, how would they have uh, any stake in the outcome? How is there any uh, case or controversy? But like I said, the majority said that matters not. We're just focusing on contract principles. But of interest... Um, the majority seemed to leave open the possibility, even under contract principles, that if the defendant made full payment or deposited the funds in the court registry, uh, the result may have been different. And since uh, Campbell's decision, you know, some courts have applied this exception and have mooted a lead plaintiff's case um, when the plaintiff has been afforded complete relief.
0: So Matt, how can you potentially moot a putative class by offering the lead plan of, of all the relief that he or she could be entitled to if you don't know all the attorney's fees that they may be entitled to at the time you make that offer of judgment?
1: That's a good question, and I think Jim brought it up earlier, just making clear that you want to include attorney's fees. Uh, the first thing I tell you is like uh, in a class action just like if in an individual case, you're not, attorney's fees are not necessarily being determined until after the judgment, until after the judgment's taken and it's being determined by the court. And as Jim alluded to, you want to be very, very clear, uh, in the offer of judgment that it would include all attorney's fees, all reasonable attorney's fees, uh, that the plaintiff could be entitled to as determined by the court. So I think in in that respect, um, although you may not know the specifics and you're trying to afford complete relief, uh, you can still make it uh, inclusive to uh, effectively use uh, in a class action.
0: Matt and Jim, thank you both so much for joining us today.
1: Thank you very much.
2: Thank you very much.
0: We've just listened to attorneys Jim Steele and Matthew Berkowitz from the law firm of Car in Washington, D.C., And special thanks to today's producer, Frank Volwinkel. And thank you all for joining us for the Insurance Law Podcast. To subscribe to this audio program, go to iTunes or our webpage, www.ambest.com slash claims resource. If you have any suggestions for a future topic regarding an insurance law case or issue, please email us at lawpodcast.ambest.com. I'm John Zuba, and now this message. Best Insurance Professionals and Claims Resource is the top website for locating qualified professionals and need-to-know insurance information for the claims market. Brought to you by AMBest, the world leader in insurance industry information. Visit ambest.com slash claims
1: resource.